This is C-SPAN's The Weekly. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. They're called earmarks, a spending provision that is inserted into an appropriations bill directing money for a specific project. Those who don't like the term earmarks call it congressional-directed spending. Critics call it pork barrel. As the Associated Press writes, earmarks are making a sudden and robust return with lawmakers in both parties growing frustrated by their inability to shape spending legislation, especially for their states or congressional districts. Just ahead, we get two points of view on the debate. Ross Baker is a professor of government at Rutgers University. He has worked as a senior staffer for members of the House and Senate, and he defends the practice. I don't see it as corrupt. Um, and uh, the the, uh, the the kind of sinister uh, the kind of sinister uh, overthrows that 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 are associated with the word are things like Congressman Randy Duke Cunningham, who represented District in San Diego, who basically had a sweetheart relationship with a defense contractor and earmarked uh, weapon systems. Um, to be to be produced by this particular defense contractor, and of course, if you're concerned about our military getting the best possible uh, equipment, you don't want that to be done, you know, by uh, by some by some member of Congress basically getting a payoff. Um, but uh, again, you know, the the, uh, the the honest use of congressionally directed spending, and I use Senator Reid's preferred term. Uh, is ba- is basically, it builds in some flexibility in the system. We'll have more with Professor Ross Baker just ahead. It was 10 years ago, February 2011, during the State of the Union address, President Barack Obama making this pledge. Because you deserve to know when your elected officials are meeting with lobbyists. I asked Congress to do what the White House has already done. Put that information online. And because the American people deserve to know that special interests aren't larding up legislation with pet projects, both parties in Congress should know this. If a bill comes to my desk with earmarks inside, I will veto it. I will veto it. That was 10 years ago. Also in 2011, Congress imposing a temporary ban on earmarks something Tea Party Patriots co-founder Jenny Beth Martin says needs to stay in place. And she offers this warning to Republicans who may support earmarks. My message for all all Republican members, whether they're in the House or the Senate, is that we're going to be watching. And if you start getting pet projects for your area, we will be watching. And I think that um, there are enough people within, especially within the Republican Party, who are tired of of so much of business as usual from the establishment. I would just warn them against it because their constituents are watching. More with the co-founder of Tea Party Patriots just ahead. But we begin with Ross Baker. He is a former senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and now a professor of American government at Rutgers University. He has worked for, among others, Democratic Senator Harry Reid and Republican Senator Chuck Hagel. In a recent USA Today op-ed, he writes earmarks can help Congress and even build bipartisanship. Yes, I, I think um, the the use of earmarks, I think, used properly, and, and they can be used properly, um, I think are evidence of the fact that any given member of Congress, whether it's a senator or a House or member of the House of Representatives, knows better what the needs of his or her constituents are 
um, then uh, somebody in the executive branch who's using a, a formula based on census figures. Um, it, it's a kind of micromanaging of money uh, by members of Congress. Um, uh, it can be abused. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, back in 2015, there was a very big scandal uh, uh, in which uh, Senator Ted Stevens of Alaska was looking for half a, half a trillion dollars for a bridge from Ketchikan uh, over to Gravina Island, and almost as long as, as the Golden Gate. And, and you know, so you, you had the situation in which the ability of members to add items to appropriations bills that specifically benefited their uh, their districts or states was abused, uh, and as a result, got a bad name. Um, and was uh, by 2010 was gone. Uh, now it's making a comeback, and I think members understand that it does have its value. One of one of which is, um, I think it promotes cooperation with members. You can call it log rolling, but you know, in a highly polarized Congress in which members are not speaking to each other, anything that, that causes members to work together, uh, even if it's to get money for their respective constituencies for public works projects, I think is a good thing institutionally. But as you know, and we're hearing this from many conservatives, you, you point out the bridge to nowhere in Alaska with the late Senator Ted Stevens, also what was often referred to as the Cornhusker kickback that benefited Nebraska in particular to get the support of Senator Ben Nelson. And conservative critics say that's what's wrong with earmarks. No, I, I, well, I think the, you cannot judge earmarks by the abuses um, when I was with uh, Senator Harry Reid, who at that time was the Democratic leader of the Senate, the majority leader, uh, he had an event every week called Welcome to Washington, and it was for Nevadans who happened to be in town. I didn't realize how many Nevadans came to Washington. Well, the Nevadans who came typically were people who were looking for earmarks. Uh, and by the way, in Senator Reid's office, the word earmarks was never used because he considered it a pejorative and the term congressionally directed spending was the preferred usage. But I would, I would talk to these folks from Nevada, and, they was, and I would ask them, you know, what, what are they here for? And, you know, there was one guy who was there who was trying to get some money for a facility for the Nevada Civil Air Patrol. Uh, there was an, an, an ambulance company in Parump, Nevada, that needed some money. And it, it's sort of things like that um, in, in which you know, can be overlooked as, as trifles or sort of don't bother me about that, uh, become become very important uh, to, to local people. And the ability of members of Congress to, del- to deliver to those things honestly. I mean, take, for example, uh, a situation uh, in the, the recent storms in the Gulf Coast in Texas and so on. I mean, Houston and the Houston area has really been under just an absolute hammering. Um, and there are a lot of infrastructure projects that are needed. And members, members from the Houston area uh, are being uh, asked by their constituents, you know, to do something uh, uh, about the flooded roads uh, or about the power disruptions. Um, and it, it, gives, it gives citizens a sense of access to Congress, which I think is very important in terms of the, not just the esteem of Congress, but the belief uh, of people in the fact that Congress can do something good for them. So, Professor Baker, I have to ask you, where does the term earmarks come from? Well, earmarks were alternatives to brand, to branding livestock. 
and it's kind of it's kind of interesting, Steve, how so many of these terms go back to a, a simpler, a more agrarian America, uh, including earmarks, log rolling, which is, by the way, sort of a, a companion of earmarks, in which one member approaches another and says, "I'll support your earmark if you support mine." Um, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, I don't see it as corrupt. Um, and uh, the the, uh, the the kind of sinister uh, the kind of sinister uh, overtones that 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 are associated with the word are things like Congressman Randy Duke Cunningham, who represented district in San Diego, who basically had a sweetheart relationship with a defense contractor and earmarked uh, weapon systems. Um, to be to be produced by this particular defense contractor, and of course, if you're concerned about our military getting the best possible uh, equipment, you don't want that to be done, you know, by uh, by some by some member of Congress basically getting a payoff. Um, but uh, again, you know, the the, uh, the the honest use of congressionally directed spending, and I use Senator Reid's preferred term. Uh, is is basically it builds in some flexibility in the system. I think it, it enables people to say, "Look, I've got a concern. It's not a big deal. It's not going to be anything that's going to be carried by the media." But you know, we have a lead pipe problem in our town. Uh, we have we have a, a problem with uh, with no broadband. We have a problem, you know, whatever it is that's on a small scale and can be fixed by the expenditure of a modest amount of money. Um, uh, it seems to me uh, something that adds flex, uh, kind of fiscal flexibility uh, to uh, to a budget. Um, and you know, I know that that of course, you know, the uh, omnibus spending bills for places where uh, people use uh, uh, the, uh, the the uh, the spending, uh, the unified spending bill for twelve cabinet departments as as a place to hide things. Um, I mean that that's that's always going to be done whether or not they're earmarks or not, and there you know there 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 are many ways around a formal earmark ban. Um, you can, for example, uh, uh, add an earmark uh, to a uh, um, to a committee report, um, which very often escapes the uh, the attention of of the media. Um, but I, I think that this out when it's out in the open as, as as it is now, and I think it's popular with members of both of both parties, and it's also unpopular with members of both parties. The progressives don't like it uh, in the Democratic Party, and the ultra conservative members don't don't like it in the Republican Party. It was really quite interesting to see within within the Texas delegation among the Republicans, you've got two Republicans, Chip Roy who has basically been circulating a letter uh, basically calling on Republican members to uh, refuse to do earmarks. And you have Representative Crenshaw, who has a, who has a problem, a series of problems for which he's been looking for uh, money for. Um, and uh, Chip Roy's letter, as a matter of fact, is being, uh, you know, that as members either sign on to it or don't sign on to it, uh, the Club for Growth, which I'm sure Jenny Martin knows quite well, um, has been keeping score. Uh, so you've got one one Republican from Texas saying uh, that that earmarks are toxic, and another member saying 
we desperately need them because my the communities in my in my district are are very needy, and this is the this is the quickest, uh, most efficient way to get money there. So to that point, you can then understand, Professor Baker, even if done honestly, what some may call congressionally directed spending, to others is viewed as a boondoggle. Well, well, it is, and uh, you know, I suppose in a, in a perfect world, um, all of the meet, local needs of people would be met by, you know, regular appropriations bills um, um, that that fund agencies, and the agencies make the decisions as to where the money goes by some kind of formula. Uh, but sometimes the formula doesn't really provide. Uh, what people need. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a situation in which um, uh, people in Washington, with the best intentions in the world, are kind of oblivious to the fact that, um, you know, that, that a volunteer ambulance service in Nevada needs a new ambulance. Uh, that's something that a member of Congress knows or will hear about. People will approach them and say, listen, this is, this is something we need. Can you help us? And certainly it, 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 it adds to the, the incumbent advantage. I mean, clearly earmarking is something that only incumbents can do. So it helps members get reelected. There's no question there's a political payoff uh, for members for doing it. But it doesn't mean that it's sinful or that it's, 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 um, it's wasteful or it's dishonest. Um, I think, sure, there's, you know, Virginia Fox was one of prominent Republican women in the House, uh, was responsible for a $500,000 federal grant to set up something called the Teacup Museum in North Carolina. You know, that I think is, is a, an outrageously uh, frivolous use of the earmarking privilege. Um, I mean, you can point, kind of point to all, all kinds of horrible examples of how it's used. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that every time it's used, it's used dishonestly or frivolously. Did I hear that correctly? A teacup museum? That is correct. The, indeed, it's the National Teacup Museum. <laughs> As to distinguish it from other teacup museums, which, have, which do not have the blessings of the federal government. So this is a process question, because in a piece that you wrote back in February for USA Today, you say earmarks are not budget busters. Uh, it doesn't involve any new appropriations. You have worked on Capitol Hill. How do earmarks work? Well, members, members hear from constituents. Members hear from lobbyists. Um, members may be unaware of a particular need in their state or district. Um, which uh, you know is not, uh, let's say, at the top of the president's agenda when he submits his budget. Uh, the kind of thing that the chairman of the appropriations committee or the or one of the authorizing committees is unaware of. Um, and a member hears about it, thinks it's a meritorious thing, doesn't cost a lot of money, um, and goes and visits the. Uh, uh, the chair of the authorizing committee, the appropriating committee, and say, you know, hey, you know, can you include this in the bill? Um, I think that's basically how it works. I mean, there's all kinds of of points of entry to get these things done. And you don't need a lobbyist to do it. It's the kind of thing that, um, uh, you know, an email from a, from a constituent or, or a group of constituents saying, you know, we really need guardrails on this highway 
is the kind of thing that they're going to put caseworkers on almost immediately. And I, th- I think the member would come to a conclusion pretty quickly that the Federal Highway Administration, whoever's in charge of those things, uh, gets on the job. Uh, and I just I, I, I don't see that as being a particularly sinister um, outcome. Over the years, you have advised both Democrats and Republicans in the House and the Senate. You're the author of a number of books, including Is Bipartisanship Dead? How do earmarks, and you touched on this a moment ago, but how do they create a sense of bipartisanship? What is it about earmarks that allows Democrats and Republicans, at least on some issues, to work together? Or maybe it's on the votes. Well, you know, um, Steve, as a general as a general matter um republicans tend to be more hostile have have traditionally been more hostile to um to earmarks than than democrats you know democrats i think see um the federal government use of federal government monies in a much more benign way there there are much there are very very few budget hawks in the in the the democratic party um but uh the, the way i the way i see it promoting bipartisanship is is basically Lot rolling, uh, you know. Let's, let's not put you know too much of a gloss on that. Um, that that one member, you know, you know, approaches another member, let's say from the other party, and there's a lot of these conversations going on. I think that citizens very often think that because you've got uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene up there spouting kind of extremist nonsense, um, and uh, you know. Uh, and other members not talking to each other, that most members do talk to each other. And there are lots of conversations across party lines, much of it having to do with you support my amendment and I'll I'll sign on to yours. Um, It's reciprocity. Uh, It it promotes civility within, within the institution at a time, I think, particularly now in which civility is in such short supply. Uh, it's a kind of it's a kind of bridge. And, and you know, sometimes it's it's you know one Democrat getting support from another Democrat. But especially now with the numbers so close, uh, it may be advantageous for a Republican to get a Democrat support or a Democrat to get a Republican support. Um, and from, from that point of view, I think anything that promotes just simple bipartisan contact um in 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 sponsorship of of bills i think is is a good thing i just think i think i think it institutionally uh, it's a good thing let me remind our listeners that we are talking with ross baker he is a distinguished professor at rutgers university his area of expertise american government and the u.s legislative process is the process of earmarks from your perspective transparent enough i think it is now I think members talk very freely about it. Um, uh, Representative Madeline Dean of Pennsylvania, for example, um, has an earmark, which I think is very, particularly relevant, you know, especially in the aftermath of the, the death of George Floyd and, and the, the deaths of other people who at the, at the hands of police in situations in which it would be better if there were uh, someone, a uh, mental health professional, alongside the police or on call uh, to show up in these situations to, to de-escalate them. She's looking for money for that for her district in Pennsylvania. Seems to me a very worthy thing. 
Um, and, and I think that it's, I think it's open. I think there's, there's now a limit of 10 earmarks. Nobody's going to get 10 earmarks. The, uh, Rosa DeLauro, the, the chair of the uh, House uh, Appropriations Committee, has made that clear. Uh, but there's room for one or two uh, for members. And uh, as I've looked at the earmark requests, um, most of them seem to me perfectly reasonable. Bottom line, where is this debate heading in Washington, among Democrats, Republicans, in the House and in the Senate? Well, I, I think this is one of these things in which uh, uh, it, it, does, it crosses party lines. Um, you know, you've got, you've got uh, economy-minded Republicans, you know, the people who signed on to Representative Chip Roy's letter, uh, who were concerned about being scored negatively by the Club for Growth. Um, and you've got Democrats uh, who I suppose are being assailed by progressives uh, for practicing old-style patronage politics. Um, uh, but, but it's really interesting. It's one of these things that doesn't cut cleanly across party lines. Uh, you, you have supporters and opponents of earmarks in, in, in both parties, um, and which suggests that, you know, it's not it's not. A, an especially divisive issue in terms of the normal cleavage lines we see uh, politically and ideologically in Congress. Ross Baker, joining us from Highland Park, New Jersey. Thank you for adding your voice and perspective to C-SPAN's The Weekly. Always a pleasure, Steve. Thank you. This is C-SPAN's The Weekly. Be sure to listen and follow wherever you get your favorite podcast. And we continue our conversation on congressional earmarks, a debate that is now front and center here in Washington, D.C. Jenny Beth Martin is a conservative columnist, the co-founder of Tea Party Patriots. I began by asking her, what's so wrong with earmarks? Well, um, earmarks are really the currency of corruption. It is how um, special carve-outs in the budget can be used to get politicians to vote for bills that they otherwise would not vote for because they they really don't think that that the bill is good on its own and it it winds up allowing things to pass and, and incentivizing politicians to pass bills for the wrong reasons have we seen a change in the last 10 years without earmarks from your perspective um well what i think of the that is important to note is that earmarks on right around Christmas time on Christmas Eve in 2009 is how Ben Nelson in Nebraska wound up voting for Obamacare and it wound up giving us Obamacare because of the Cornhusker kickback and it it benefited him and his feet but at the end of the day um Healthcare prices have not actually come down, which is exactly what we we said would happen and why we were opposed to Obamacare passing. As you know, one of the arguments we continue to hear from supporters of earmarks is that it does create a sense of bipartisanship, that lawmakers can put in bills, legislation and funding for areas of special interest to their state or congressional district. It's transparent and it allows the two sides to work together. How do you respond to that? Well, I think that um, if 
if it truly benefited all Americans and was a good thing for all Americans, we would not know about the bridge to nowhere. And it, the bridge to nowhere wouldn't be an infamous an infamous funding project. This, these kind of funding projects may benefit a small, tiny pet group of people, but is it good for the whole country? And is it right to take taxpayer dollars from one area to buy off, essentially buy off a vote um, by giving this special little project to another area? It, it does, it's not right and it's not fair. And it's how corruption happens. But can't you make the argument that that's the job of members of Congress, House and Senate members, to say, look, I want to represent my state, my district, and one way to do so is to provide funding for those bridges or the new post office or a school or a highway, things that would benefit a district or a state? Um, I I think that... No, actually, I don't think that's the job of politicians. Their job is they don't take an oath to uphold pet projects in in special interest in their district. They take an oath to uphold the Constitution, and they should be passing legislation that upholds the Constitution and that can stand on its own merit. We are talking with Jenny Beth Martin. She is the co-founder and national coordinator of the Tea Party Patriots. She's also a columnist for the Washington Times. So if not earmarks, how do members of Congress make sure that uh, their district is represented when it comes to spending items? Well, I think they, they need to be looking at what is the proper role of spending, what is the proper role of government. And what we see all too often is that politicians want to spend, spend, spend. And instead of, in, rather than looking at whether what they are trying to spend is even the proper role for government to be involved in in the first place. Because, as you know, members of Congress often call these, quote, community funding projects, again, to benefit cities and states in their district or state. Right. I think that that is a poll-tested word that they ran through to see if that word would would make earmarks and the currency of corruption sound less toxic. And I, I think too often people who don't live in Washington, D.C. are tired of the nice fluffy language that is used to mask and hide what actually really winds up leading to serious problems in our country. It, it's just not right to 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 expect that one that that the whole country has to pay for pet projects in order in one particular area for a bill to pass the bill should be able to stand on its own merit so when you say it leads to serious problems in terms of congressional earmarks from your perspective where are those problems and how do you fix them Well, I think that if you're looking at where are the problems right now, one thing to do is to look at what happened when we did have earmarks. The earmarks were used the week of Christmas when most people in America were focused on their families and the holidays. And um, they used earmarks to buy off the vote of a senator in Nebraska with a corn husker kickback, and it passed. It, and Obamacare wound up passing. And at the end of the day, the the name of the bill for Obamacare was supposed to be the Affordable Care Act. Uh, if 
if healthcare was truly going to be affordable from that, we still wouldn't be talking about 12 years later ways to reduce the cost of healthcare. Candidates would not have had to run on that in the last election cycle because healthcare would have already been affordable. So the problem is that really bad pieces of legislation that cannot stand on their own wind up it winds up finding ways to carve out special pet projects in order to pass legislation that affects all Americans, not just the people who may or may not benefit, well, especially not just the people who benefit from the the pet projects, which is usually a small handful of Americans compared to the whole country. So let me go back to the larger issue of bipartisanship, because as you well know, many people look at Washington and say it is essentially dysfunctional. There's a debate right now over infrastructure, Democrats and Republicans trying to come together on a bipartisan deal. If not earmarks, how do you create a better spirit of bipartisanship in Washington? Is there, from your perspective, another solution? Well, I think that there are solutions. We could look at issues where Americans agree on the issues and try to work to um, to solve some of the problems where Americans where Americans agree on different on different issues, um, and then and work on those things that we agree on, and show that we can find areas where there is agreement. Um, right now, I think that we could find agreement among most Americans that finding a way to make sure that America is less dependent on China for our supply chain, I think most Americans would agree on that, especially given what we've seen happen in our country over the last, the last 18 months. Um, another area would be that most Americans, the supermajority of Americans, want there to be term limits. Congress could work to pass an amendment so that we could have term limits in Congress. Um, Most Americans have, over time, agreed that we do need to find a way to balance the budget, even if it means making small cuts to the budget across the board in order to get to, to a balanced budget. We can find areas where there is agreement and work on those areas that's what politicians could be doing and then prove to America that they can work to solve problems that Americans care about in a bipartisan manner. I think that what happens so often is that that both parties, Republicans and the Democrats, find ways to divide Americans rather than trying to find ways to find the issues that we agree on. And I think the problem with that is that the issues that most Americans agree on term limits, balanced budgets, being less dependent on, on China for our supply chain are things that people that actually divide the vast majority of Americans from those with power in Washington, D.C. So let me conclude with a, another question regarding specifically earmarks, because you are the co-author of a letter going after House Republicans, the conference, as you know, agreeing to the return of practice of earmarks. And you said you're disappointed. So what is your message to Republican members of Congress? 
Well, they may have voted that, they're, that, that they would change their position in the House. The Senate did not, and I applaud the Senate for not changing the rules to do that. And my message for all, all Republican members, whether they're in the House or the Senate, is that we're going to be watching. And if you start getting pet projects for your area, we will be watching. And I think that um, there are enough people within, especially within the Republican Party, who are tired of of so much of business as usual from the establishment, I would just warn them against it because their constituents are watching. Jenny Beth Barton is the co-author of the book Tea Party Patriots, The Second American Revolution, and the co-founder of Tea Party Patriots, also a columnist for The Washington Times, joining us from Atlanta. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. And finally, a reminder, be sure to check out all of C-SPAN's podcasts. You can listen and follow wherever you get your favorite podcast. And follow us on Twitter at C-SPAN Radio. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. Thank you for listening.